All right, let's uh, meet each other here in Ephesians chapter number 1. Learn more of the great uh, things that the Lord has done in His investment in you. Ephesians chapter number 1. God's investment in you. This is our fifth Sunday on this already. And I hope that we're benefiting from uh, our study as we see these great things the Lord has done. Big words, I know, but uh, wonderful words. And I've I've enjoyed preparing these, and I I hope that uh, I can communicate even a small degree of what these are that the Lord has done. They are far greater than our words can ever express. And uh, with that, I'm so thankful we can do this. So we're in Ephesians chapter 1 today. Uh, our verse is actually verse number 5 and 6. But I'm going to start with verse 3 and read through verse 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Heavenly Father, we have your word in front of us again, and what a joy it is to spend time looking at it and learning from it. And yet, Lord, it's, it's huge and what it expresses to us of your great love and investment in our lives. You are a very active God in our midst, and in each each moment of our, our being, you are actively involved. And I pray that you impress that upon us today as we study your word. Guide us in it, and teach us from it, and draw us closer to yourself, and make us more like Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the favorite word of a child that learns to speak? No? (laughs) Why? How many times have you heard that from little people? Why? 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 All day long. Why? Now, that's a a word you either get used to or you get tired of uh, with little ones. Uh, but whys are something we all ask. And if I had a title for our sermon today, it would be why. Why? We're studying God's investment in you. Let's ask the question, why? Why? There's so much that he has done for us. It says, even our main point in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, Why? Why does he do this? Why has he blessed us so? It's one of the greatest marvels, I think, in all our universe, that God loves us. He loves us. There's a fact to that. I want to express that a little bit as as we start off this morning. There's a fact that he loves you. It, It is evident. There's proof of his love. Just the fact that you exist today is evidence of his love. 
The fact that you are provided for life, sustained by air, sustained by water, sustained by food. Where does that come from? Who gives that to us? Is that some sort of a a cosmic accident that happened? No. Is that some sort of a development of one chemical breaking into other chemicals and, and all of a sudden here we are? Or is there a loving God behind all that who has created us, who has sustained us? Now, some people say, well, there are common graces in our world. Uh, something God gives to the just and to the unjust. James tells us it's rain, for one thing. He lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust. And he's a gracious God, isn't he? After all, man is his special creation. Designed to have fellowship with him, right? Made into his image, right? These are the words from Genesis. Able to respond to his goodness. We know that's all true. We also know that there are some of our race, our mankind, who do not care. They do not care that God has designed them for fellowship, (laughs) They do not care. They do not care that they've been made into the image of God. They do not care. And they do not give Him gratitude. They do not care. They give themselves credit for their own existence, their ability to survive, their own provisions. They even go so far to testify that God does not get the glory. They refuse to give him glory. They don't even give thanks. Read Romans chapter 1 and you'll see the whole story. The whole world is a testimony of how great God is. And they don't even care. They go on through their life, day by day, without acknowledging it at all. However, we have come to know this God, haven't we? We have come to know him. And we have come to know his love. Romans 5.8, my absolute favorite verse. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now what's great about that verse is it doesn't say and God demonstrated his own love toward us as if it was one time an event finished and it's over with. But it's actually a present tense verb. He demonstrates. He demonstrates. He demonstrates. He continually demonstrates. Now, his son died once. But how often is God going to bring that before us to remind us of his love? He loves us and he demonstrates it over and over and over again that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, of course, you know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave His only begotten Son. Aren't you glad for that demonstration? That's God's love for you. We know that, don't we? We appreciate that. We, we, we relish in the thought that God loves us. And He demonstrated in giving His Son to die. To die. That's just a remarkable phrase to stop and think through. He took our place under the wrath of God. He came to redeem us from slavery to sin, to forgive us of our sins, 
to give us a place in the body, a name as a child of God, a home forever with Him. That's God's love. Are you convinced of it? You're convinced that He loves you? The question then is, we know the fact, but the question is, why? Why does He love us so? So today we're going to go back into our Ephesians 1 passage and take a good close look at it. And I've got a little helper here uh, for us this morning to give you a clue as to what this passage looks like. All right. Now, I can express it in words all, t- all morning long, but it's sometimes easier to see it. All right. So Chris is going to help me out here. We're going to pop the text right up in front of you here. This is Ephesians chapter number 1. 3 through 14. That's just part of that chapter. This is one sentence in the Greek New Testament. Pretty impressive, isn't it? One sentence. Paul doesn't stop for breath. I don't even know if he stopped to, to refill his ink as he went. He just couldn't stop writing out what God has done for us. This is his doxology. Blessed be God who has done all this for us. Now, we've been reading through this and working our way through it as we go. We've made ourselves only this far along in our study. But this is what you're looking at. Now, when I looked at this, and I'm not going to get real technical with you or anything, but I'm not even going to change the language or say English for you. But when I said, let's look for the main verbs, okay? Chris, pop up the next one for us. These are the main verbs in red. That's what he was wanting to tell you. He could have said it in one sentence, couldn't he? Well, he did. But he could have said it in one verse with these words. He chose us. He freely bestowed this upon us. We have redemption. He lavished on us. He purposed in him. We have obtained an inheritance. You were sealed. These are the simple words he wanted to express to us. All right? Now, what also goes along with this, Chris, we're look at the next one. In the blue here, you can see the subject of what's what's happening here, because every verb has to have somebody doing it, right? And here we have God, Father, Lord Jesus Christ. We know that. He's the one who has blessed us. He predestined us. The Beloved is also the subject here. He made known to us. He predestined us who works. He works, right? We were the first to hope in Christ after listening, having also believed. These are just some of the phrases that we can say are necessary to the sentence to know who's doing what. God the Father is blessing us and look at all he's given to us. And all we do is respond, right? You can see it. We were first to hope. We listened. We believed. We see that also woven into this text. Now, if we just went with that, that's adequate and wonderful to explain to us what God has done. And we would come away saying, wow, that's wonderful. But what we need to see is one added part of a grammatical sentence called the preposition. All right, let's go one more. Everything in the green is prepositional phrases. When I looked at that, I said, wow, because I color-coded this when I sat down to start working this through. Look at what surrounds every single phrase. Prepositional phrases, prepositional phrases, prepos- you can see them on every side, can't you? Everywhere through there. Green, 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 green. Maybe we'll bring this out in August when everything's brown, brown, brown. We'll say, hey, there is still green out there. 
Look at all the prepositions, all this. Now, what is a preposition? Let's go one more slide here. It's a pointing word. That's what it's meant for. It's a pointing word, what you are to see. It's like a hand saying, look, 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 look. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to the next slide here, Chris. Now you get it? This is what Paul's been trying to show us. This is what God's saying. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Over and over, he's pointing at these great things God has done, and he just can't stop with the prepositions. Pointing, 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 pointing. See the picture now? That's what we're studying. And today, rather than focus on just these, which we've been doing a little bit, we're going into the green today. All right? We're going to look at some prepositional phrases. Now, there's no way we're going to cover all of these today, of course. Uh, I'm going to pick three. All right? Thank you, Chris. And the three that we have are in these verses before us here in verse 4, 5, and 6. Primarily, that's what we're going to look at. Now, these little helpers are going to show us the great things God has done for us. They are the answer to why. Why God has done what he's done. Now, in this, from verse 4, really, verse 4 through verse number 14, we have six big things God has done for us. Six big things. Uh, They're classified under the caption, uh, His blessings by which he has blessed us. Verse number 3. It's not a complete list of everything God has done. Scripture couldn't contain it any more than it could contain everything that Christ has done on this earth. And uh, to list every single blessing, we would be overwhelmed to mark them all down. But here we have this list. And this list tells us the six significant things God has done to show his investment in you. They are election. He chose us. And that's in verse number Four, he chose us. We call that election, just as he chose us before him, before the foundation of the world. The second word we saw last week in verse number five, predestined. We use the big word predestination. He adopted us as sons. He adopted us as sons. And it says so. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. The third big word that we will get to is the word redemption. Verse number 7 mentions it. The forgiveness of our sins. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses. Now the fourth big word is in verse 9. I use the word revelation because I'm trying to keep a consistent concept going here. Revelation. He made known to us. The mystery of his will. That is an incredible blessing that he has done. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. Big word number five is our inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained it. Verse number 11. We also have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And the last big thing in these, this one sentence is sealed. And that's in verse 13. The fact is, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now these six things are what the prepositions keep pointing at. They want you to see these things. They're surrounding these things. They're pointing and pointing. Uh, now, we can decipher them every single week, and we've already covered some of them. But I thought, why don't we just take them all and pile them in one pile and take a good look at it? Actually, it's going to be two piles, because one sermon's not enough. All right? We'll get to the other part of the pile later. But this, this morning, we're going to come up with, with the prepositions that answer why. And as you already know, they are pointing words. Paul will continue to repeat himself, because he says, look, look, see, 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 look. Look here. Here it is again. I told you. Here it is again. It's almost like that. As he works his way through the passage, these are why you are so blessed. These are why you are so blessed. So today, let's just look at three of them, because that's going to be a handful all by itself. Three of them. First one's at the end of verse number four. You see it? Two little words. In love. See those words? In love. It says in verse 4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us. Now sometimes you'll see a period at the end of the word Him that was inserted in our English. The love either goes back to the choosing, or it goes forward to He predestines us in verse number 5. And the scholars can't decide that. I'll tell you the simple solution. It's both. I always like that when I see options and it matches either one. I say, let's say both. So, we're going to talk about both today. You're probably not surprised that this word is, in the Greek, we call it agape. Alright? That part of Greek you know, right? Agape. Agape is a fascinating word for love. We call it sacrificial. We call it supreme. There's some people who rank it like it's the best of all of them, and there's a ranking system of love. Uh, we know it also as a giving kind of love. It gives, it gives, it gives. Now, in that sense, we, we have to include the fact that there are other kind of loves to consider next to this. There is a taking kind of love. The Greek uses the word eros which is a word that says, I want to satisfy myself. I love myself, pretty much. And I want to take. I want to take. I want to... It's one directional, and it comes toward me. That's eros, love. Now, we don't really have that word in the Greek New Testament, because that's not the kind of love God commends to us, right? A selfish, self-centered, a a, a one-directional love toward ourselves. That's a word we don't see in the Christian circles of what to do. But we do find the second kind of love, very often in Scripture, I call it a give-and-take kind of love, because it's reciprocating. We use the word phileo. Words like Philadelphia start with these uh, phrases. But it's a reciprocating love, and really it's probably the most common kind of love that we see, and as believers that we know. It is one that that brings people together in kindness, where they share with one another, 
where they uh, fellowship with one another. It, it highlights our dependence on one another. It, it mentions our cooperation. Matter of fact, ladies, Scripture commends you to love your husbands with this word. It's that kind of a love. It's a reciprocating love, a give and take kind of love that works together. It's two directional. You give, you receive. You give, you receive. You give, you receive. Now, if you're not giving, you're not doing half of it. If you're not receiving, you're not doing half of it. It's necessary that both take place. It's a very fascinating love and a good one. The third is agape. It is one directional. Always out. Always out. It's one directional. It goes from the the one with it to the one who needs it. It's unconditional. It is sacrificial. Matter of fact, it's done in such a way, and this is why we're commended to it, it's done in such a way that you're not expecting a, 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 um, some sort of something in return. It's not that kind of a love. It, it operates merely sat- uh, sacrificially. It gives without waiting for a response. It's a fascinating kind of love. It's, it's a wonderful love. So, it's not so concerned about what it receives, but what it gives. What it gives. Now, isn't that the perfect word for God? Agape love. He gives. He gives. He gives. He gives. He gives. He gives. And wouldn't you call his giving sacrificial? What did he give? His son? I mean, the whole picture of agape is perfect when we want to define what God is. It's his motivation in this predestining you, predestining, that's quite a word, predestining you to adoption as sons. In verse number 5. It's a one directional thing. He chose you. Simply put, because that word is attached to him making us sons, adopting us as sons, it wasn't a responsive love. It wasn't something that uh, was initiated by us that God should say, hey, I'm going to adopt you into my family. It was purely his choice. That's pretty strong, but it's true. It was completely his initiation that he should adopt us as children of his, as sons of his. So God didn't look to see if you were lovely so that he would love you. He didn't look to see if you were lovable to say he would love you. Romans tells us, as I read that verse already in 5.8, even while we were yet sinners, That's when God was demonstrating his love already. Even while we were yet sinners. You're in Ephesians. Just jump over to verse 2, or chapter 2. Look at verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were lovable. Right? No. Even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. There is nothing lovely about us. And God loved us. That's incredible. See, 
that's not a reciprocating love. That's not a love waiting for you to initiate. God initiates it. Even while we were incapable. There's nothing, nothing that we have brought him to this place. Romans would add this in chapter 5 verse 10. That he loved us even while we were his enemies. It says earlier in verse 6 I believe of Romans 5. Even while we were helpless. Even while we were helpless. See, we were hostile to the things of God. When's the last time you looked at somebody who was hostile to you and said, My, how lovely. That's usually not a good trigger for love, is it? Hostility? Enmity? But that describes us. And every time he describes us, he stands there and says, And I love you. Isn't that remarkable? Remarkable to me. Now, you wouldn't have it any other way, would you? Aren't you glad he loved you? Isaiah 53 says that we despised his son. We rejected his son. You know that chapter, don't you? We made him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Song that we sing here on occasion, has these words in it. Love sent my Savior to die in my stead. Meekly to Calvary's cross he was led. Nails pierced his hand and his feet for my sins. He suffered sore my salvation to win. Oh, how he agonized there in my place. Nothing withholding my sin to a face. Why should he love me so? Why should he love me so? Why should my Savior to Calvary go? Why should he love me so? You ever ask that question? Why should he love? You know, that is a question, but that also is the answer. Why does he love me? Because he loves me. You say, well, okay. Love always points to what God has done for you. Don't you see it? It always does. It's that little hand saying, see? See? When it talks about Him choosing us, it's because He loves you. He predestined us as sons because He loves you. He's redeemed you. Forgave you of your sins. Why? Because He loves you. He's revealed to you the mystery of His will. Why? You know why now? Because He loves you. He gives you an inheritance. Why? Because He loves you. He seals you with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He loves you. That's what the text has said over and over. And it says it in two simple little words right at the end of verse number 4. You can apply it to every single action of God. Every time He acts on your behalf, it's out of love. It's out of love. He loves you. That's one of the prepositions that are important for us to see. He loves you. Second one I want to show you as well. It's in verse 5. It's also in verse number 9. This is where Paul repeats himself a couple of times. He says in verse 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. See that phrase? You might have a different wording there. You might have in accordance with his pleasure and will. 
you might have according to the good pleasure of his will. You might have uh, something like according to the purpose of his will. My text in front of me says according to the kind intention of his will. It says it again in verse number 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. His kind intention. This is a great little word. Word. Eudokia is the word. Eudokia. When you start to figure it out, it speaks of uh, satisfaction. It speaks of delight. It speaks of, uh, of a kindness and a good pleasure. Now, sometimes we might go, okay, God loves me, but does he delight in me? Would we use such a word like that? He delights in me. Far too often I, I've heard and I've read, the will of God is a hard thing. We step back from it because we think it constrains us. We think it limits us. We, we don't have freedom because, well, it's His will. Because of that, thoughts like election and predestination, as we talked about last week, seem unfair. And the world says certainly our doctrine sounds unfair. They even, as I said last week, some treat it as dirty words because it's constraining. Yet, in the same verse, verse 5, that talks about his will and predestination, we have the words, Kind intention. Kind intention. Delight and pleasure, satisfaction in our God. These things he has done. Yes, the big words are next to these words. Are you afraid of his will? I would guess something. Just off the top of my head, I would guess something. If you're afraid of his will, you're afraid that he's going to make you do something you don't want to do. That's where a lot of people are. They're afraid. Like, maybe this is a dream. Maybe you'd like to be a florist someday. Say, oh, I'd love to, to work with flowers. I'd set up a greenhouse behind the house, and I'll just spend all my hours back there working up the most beautiful flowers I can, and, and I love the smell when I walk into the room. And I love to see the beauty of the flowers. And I love to cut them and put them in arrangements and make a beautiful, beautiful display of flowers. And Lord, this is my desire. I'd like to do flower arrangements the rest of my life. And he takes you and puts you in a polka band to play the tuba. And you say, that's not what I wanted. Isn't that what we're afraid of? That we're going to be playing the tuba for eternity? Say, ah, Lord, that's, we're afraid of his will. Because we leave off the word kind. We leave out the word delight. We leave out these words that are associated with his will. When he talks of his will, it is directed to you out of love, right? It's an act of kindness towards you. Not a penalty. Not a punishment. It's a blessing, isn't it? Why are we so afraid of it? Because we don't like tubas. 
But this is what God has been pointing at all along. He says, this is my intention for you. This is my will for you. And he puts kindness next to it. And he points at it. He points at it. See, predestination, whether you're able to stomach the word or not, in verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. You see it now? That was his kindness to predestine you. Also in verse number 9, he made known to us, here's our revelation, the mystery of his will according to his kind intention. <laughs> that again comes next to a hard word for us to swallow. They say sometimes it takes a little bit of sugar to help the medicine go down, right? There's your sugar. His kind intention. I like the way David wrote this. Now, you can follow along. Psalm 139. You've just listened to the words. as You could read along as I go, but listen to the words of David's expression of God's kindness toward him. In Psalm 139, O Lord, verse 1 starts, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you knew it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. Now this is where people start getting nervous. Oh no, he's enclosing around us. Oh, he knows everything about us. For some people, they're reading these words and they're starting to cringe a little bit. God knows everything, even the words that I say, right? You enclosed me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. What word does that sound like all of a sudden? Isn't that God's work before we came along? We used the word predestined, didn't we? It's woven in this very thought. He even has numbered your days. You say, well, that doesn't sound very... Free? If God's designed it this way. And then verse 17, right on the heels of that very phrase, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! There's your delight. 
Notice them side by side. So often we leave off the good part. We leave off the good part. What has God done for you? Outside of being kind. Everything has been kind. Don't you know that? Everything has been kind. He delights in doing this for his children. He chose you by his kind intention. He predestined you by his kind intention. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you of your sins. Now call that kindness, right? By his kind intention he's done this. He has revealed to you the mystery of his will by his kind intention. He's given you an inheritance. Guess how he did that? By his kind intention. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. That too, by his kind intention. When God acts, those words pop up in point. This is his kindness. This is his kindness. This is his kindness. So why has God done all this for you? Because of his kindness towards you. You see? His kindness towards you. That's the second of the prepositions we needed to see. Third one is in verse number six. Jump down a little further. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Look at verse 12. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. There it is again. Look down to verse 14. Who has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. You know, say it once and it's important. It's in God's word. Say it twice and you better start paying attention. Say it three times. Wow, what do you call that? (laughs) Three times through, he says, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. That's why he has done what he has done. His investment is new, is to the praise of his glory. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a, wait a minute. Let me understand this. This is not a self-seeking act on God's part. I want you to know this. It is not a self-seeking act. It is not selfishness on God's part. That he does this to the praise of his glory. See, glory... The word doxa in the Greek speaks of honor. It speaks of a reputation. It it takes into account what people say, their opinion, their judgment, their view. We use it all the time. When we give our opinion of somebody, we, we express what we recognize in that person. Well, here's the reality. God cannot be anything but God. Is that too profound? God cannot be anything but God, right? He is God. Is He anything less? No, He's God. He just is. One of the students I've had at Cornerstone over the last couple of years writes a prayer letter. She's actually serving in Utah with Abby during the summer. She sends a prayer letter every week. The top corner for several of these prayer letters was just a little quote that she had put in there from one of her little students in Awana over the last year. And the simple statement was, God is so God. And I said, wow, doesn't that say it? God is so God. 
God loves. Why? Because God is love. Can he be less? No. God speaks the truth. Why? Because God is true, right? Will he be anything less? No. God does what is just. Why? Because God is just. You can't just pick any attribute you want and ignore the rest. All of them are true of him. What it says in his love, what it says in his truth, what it says in his justice, is all about his honor. That's the word doxa, glory. It's all about his honor. And there's never a time when God's character will be contradictory to his action. Never. God is consistent all the time. It's who he is. His actions match him perfectly. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that about yourself? That your actions match who you really are? Well, this is what James said. He says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. You might have shadows of turning. You might have heard it that way before. Now, scholars have thought through that phrase quite a bit. That's James 1.17. And James is simply saying he is the Father of lights. Being the Father of lights. Does that mean anything else is brighter than he? Anything else is greater than he? Anything will cast a shadow on him? Anything that will make him change or fade or be outshone? No, he's a father of lights, you see? And that's what the expression is all about. See, anything greater than God, anything that would cast a shadow on God would have to be the real God, if you think it through. Because whatever is greater than God must be God. Right? When you start working your way through. And that would make our God second place. If something is casting a shadow on Him, but He's not second place. He is the Father of life. Now, it's a simple little phrase, but all that to say is that when we talk about God, He is God. You're convinced of that, aren't you? He is God. Now, because he is God, he works according to his character. That's his honor. That's his glory. What he does for you and what he does for me, is a, but it goes to his own praise. Yes! Because he's God. He's going to operate that way. He is faithful to us because of who he is. You wouldn't want it any other way. Trust me. Now, our concept of love is something like this. You meet a young man, you fall in love. You will try to be whatever it is that he likes. Oh, it works both ways. The man will do that too, in order to get the young lady's uh, attention. If she likes to ride bikes, guess what he all of a sudden likes to do? Ride bikes. If she thinks it's just wonderful to put barbecue sauce in her applesauce, guess what he starts eating? 
Now, she won't say that till after they're married, that I can't stand this stuff. But until then, he's trying to, to gain her, her favor. Now, we joked about this all the time, but uh, Carrie had said this, and I knew she did. She loved to iron clothing. And then after we were married, she said she can't stand ironing clothing. And she says, I only said that to get you to marry me. Would you like a God like that? Would you like a God like that, who, who, who caters to your desires, your likes? He's not true to his own character, but he wants to be shaped according to your desires. Our world likes that. They want a God that they can shape to their own desires, that way they can live how they want. That's what they want in a God. But we praise a God who is faithful, don't we? We praise a God who is genuine, don't we? He's not false in any way, and we can count on him being who he is. That's who we know. So are we surprised that he says it so plainly, so clearly in this passage, so often in this passage, that he's done all this to the praise of his glory? That's his honor. And that's in keeping with who he is. Now, would you want that any other way? I wouldn't. I see that and I say, that is precious. Because this is not that he saved me, predestined me, chose me, so the praise goes toward me. He didn't say that at all. It's toward him. It would even be dishonest for him to give us any credit. Because all the credit is his. See, I don't know how you process this, really. But I'll tell you how I do. When it says he chooses me, he chose me, that is to the praise of his glory. When it says that he has predestined me as adopted son, that's to the praise of his glory. When it says that he has redeemed me and forgiven me of my sin, that's to the praise of his glory. When it says that he has revealed to me the mystery of his will, that is to the praise of his glory. When it says that he has given me an inheritance. When it says that he has sealed me with the Holy Spirit. That is to the praise of his glory. That's in keeping with who he is. Now in Ephesians, you saw this in chapter 2, but let's look at it one more time. In verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here it comes. You ready? Hang on tight. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Mark that. You've got to know it. Forever, forever, you and I are trophies of God's grace. Forever. If at any time in heaven somebody says, God, why did you do this? He's going to point to you. He's going to point to you. And he says, because I love them and I'm kind to them. And this brings me glory to have them here forever. That's God's actions toward us. That's his answer to why. 
For eternity, it says that. For the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. You ask him, what's grace? He's going to point at you. He says, what's forgiveness? He's going to show you the cross. Over and over and over again, we have God demonstrating, pointing, pointing at who he is. God loves you. Convinced? God is kind to you in his intentions. He delights in you. Are you convinced? God has done all this to reflect his honor. Are you convinced? That's why. And that's only three of them. The list gets big. But let's thank the Lord for these three today. Heavenly Father, we come before you overwhelmed with who you are and what you have done. That you should look down upon us, we who were your enemies, helpless, sinners, that you should look down upon us and love us, to be kind toward us, and respond to us by your own honor and character, your own glory that you should do this for us is quite overwhelming. Lord, we're trying to understand why, and, and I'm glad that you don't look upon us and say that we're limited in the questions. For every time we ask why, you show us again. You show us again. You show us again. And throughout eternity, you're going to show us again why you love us so. Why you're so kind why you do this according to your character. Thank you, Lord, for it. I, I pray, Lord, that somebody here today might understand, maybe for the first time, that God loves them. Maybe for the first time they will come to realize that Christ died for them and they will turn their attention to that cross. You will draw them to that, Lord, and I pray that you will. Show them your great love, that they may accept the gift, the free gift of God, eternal life in Jesus Christ and all these blessings that we've been talking about so favorably. Lord, you have blessed us and we ought to be the most thankful people on this earth. Thank you for what you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.